Hey, true crime family, I am K-Mac. And I'm the answer. And this is Bad Human. Hi, true crime family. Welcome to Bad Human, a true crime podcast where we discuss those humans that reside at the bottom of the morality bell curve. Thank you all for joining us today. <laughs> if you're not, follow us on the gram at Bad Human Pod. Love TikTok? your comments. Uh, we're not that cool. We have like three TikTok oh. videos. And they're all our puppy. And they're mostly of our dog. We haven't figured that one out yet. I have no problem admitting that I am a millennial by like a year and some people don't consider me a millennial. <laughs> it's like on the cusp. Well, I'm on the cusp. You're on the cusp. No, seriously. Like, if you're born in 81, you're considered, like, on the cusp. Like, you're an old millennial. You're born in 81. You know that. I know it. Whatever. Shout out to, I don't know, who should we give a shout out to today? Ourselves. Shout out to ourselves. No, how about, uh, <laughs> how about our puppy, Charlotte? And to our dog, Charlotte. Yes, absolutely. And, yeah, I think that's about it. No, I think a shout out to all our family and friends and fans. Yeah, all seven of you. We love you Yeah, you guys are great. Let's get to double digits. (laughs) And let's just get right to it. What do you think? That sounds good. Because most of you probably skipped forward or stopped listening. Don't blame you. On the night of April 25th, 2009, 17-year-old Brittany Drexel left a hotel in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, where she had been staying with her friends over spring break. She walked to another hotel a short distance away and from there texted her boyfriend to say that she was headed back to her motel. This would be the last time that she would be known to be alive. Brittany Drexel was born in Rochester, New York in October, in October, on October 7th, 1991, a Libra. To John uh, in Dawn, the two were, I can't say John's last name, so I just made a decision right there just to call them by their first name. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to say his name wrong. John and Don, plus it rhymes. The two were teens and were not married, and they actually split before Brittany was born. Shortly after Brittany was born, Don married Chad Drexel, who adopted Brittany um, at that time. They would go on to have two more kiddos together. Brittany would have a sister named Marissa and a brother named Camden. After Chad's military service ended, the family lived in Rochester, um, a suburb of... No, okay, I was watching a documentary, and it's spelled Chile, but it's like, it's not that, though. So anyone from New York and the Rochester area, I know I'm saying it wrong, and I'm now going to Google it when we get done recording this, but it's it's not Chile. I just am acknowledging that. Brittany was described as an up-and-coming soccer player. People liked her. She was kind to everybody. She was really fast, too. Like, for my, she was a soccer player. She was in track. She was described as a girl's girl. Um, she did like to have her nails and her hair done, and she was absolutely beautiful. She had these piercing blue sapphire eyes, which were her real color. I thought for sure they were contacts, but they were her real color. And due to an eye condition that she was born with and had to have multiple surgeries, she was actually blind in her right eye. Oh. So she wore contact lenses to try to counteract the eye tendency to wander, but her eyes were like, when you, I will post a photo of her on our Instagram page. She's absolutely stunning. 2009 was a rough year for Brittany and her family. Her parents were going through a divorce and she was not taking it well at all. She twice tried to OD on her mom's medicine. Although later her dad would say that the dosage was more probably a cry for help than actual intent to take her own life, which is still very sad. Yeah. 
but she was clearly really going through it and having a rough time with her parents' divorce. In early April of 2009, Brittany asked her mom, Dawn, if she could go to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina over spring break with a few older girls and her boyfriend, John Greco. Her mom, of course, was like, hell the fuck no, you're not going to go on this trip. She didn't know any other kids. There were no adults going. The mom would also later say in an interview in 2020 that there is no parental supervision and something is going to happen to you, that she had this premonition that something bad was going to happen. Did you ever go on spring break trips? No. I didn't either. Well, because, well, I wasn't really in college long. Or well, in a high school. These are high school kids. Those are high school kids? Yeah. Uh, not unless you count a senior class trip. Otherwise, no. We usually wouldn't have a whole week off. Yeah. We'd only have like Easter and maybe the Monday or Tuesday after. We did spring break trips like our family, though, not with our friends. I remember one year we rented an Astro van. Like this is when they were like <laughs> really cool. Mm-hmm. And we drove to the Gulf Shores. There you go. That was a real, yeah. That was like when you had the big discman and yeah, I'm like 20 hours in the car with my dad and mom and siblings in an Astro van. Sign me up. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> pass. Hey, pass. It was also the trip that my brother smuggled a bottle of Sky Vodka in his suitcase. And he, I think he was like 17. And my mom like lost her shit. Like, oh my God, my kids are alcoholics. And like my dad's like making screwdrivers in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> Which well, is why well, we, I love my dad. Well, we might as well put it to use. <laughs> Girl, it's good shit. At least he didn't get the cheap stuff. Yeah. Uh-huh. So her mom was like absolutely held to the no. You're not going to Myrtle Beach with no parental supervision with a bunch of older girls and your boyfriend. This led to arguments between them uh, for several days until April 22nd when she asked if she could instead then just go to a friend's house for a day or two, to which Don agreed. Seems perfect timing. Yeah. That day is the day she actually would leave for South Carolina with the other students without telling her mom. Now, before Dawn did agree to letting her go to what she thought was her local friend's house, she said she wanted to talk to her uh, friend's mom to confirm that she wasn't lying. Of course, Brittany got her friend to pretend to be her mom and said it was all good, oh. said everything she wanted to hear. Unfortunately, at the last minute, Brittany's boyfriend was not able to go due to a work conflict. So she went uh, with these older girls. Three days later, after her and the group arrived at the Bar Harbor Hotel in Myrtle Beach, Brittany called her mom uh, during the daytime and told her that she was at the beach. Her mom, however, was not alarmed as she assumed that Brittany was referencing the beach along Lake Ontario, (laughs) which was 20 minutes away from home. Of which it was 83 degrees that day, so her mom said, yeah, that seemed pretty feasible. Yeah. And Brit Brit left out the part where she was in a different state. Yeah. A few more than 20 miles away. Yeah. Only a day into arriving, Brittany started to feel a little left out from the friend group. The girls there were older, and they were more into the drinking and partying than she was. She was good with having a mick ultra they were mdma and you know vodka it up so it was a little bit of a heavy party scene for her okay her and her boyfriend were in constant communicado they talked like every five minutes if one didn't respond in like 10 minutes the other one would worry on april 25th around 8 p.m Brittany left her friends at the bar harbor hotel beachfront to walk a mile and a half down uh, South Ocean Boulevard to visit a friend who was staying at the Blue Water Resort. Security cameras at the resort 
show her arriving. She's carrying a beige purse and wearing a black and white tank top, flip-flops, and shorts. The cameras capture her leaving around 8.45. During this time, Brittany was texting her boyfriend, um, who again had stayed back because of work commitments. They'd been texting back and forth, but around 9.15, her texts suddenly stop. And her boyfriend began calling her friends in Myrtle Beach to see if they knew where she was or what had happened. Minutes before surveillance video footage from the hotel that she was staying at uh, captured her leaving. She texted her boyfriend that she was upset and heated. After discussing what to wear, apparently that evening with her friends, she had texted her boyfriend saying, I'm staying in, packing and going to sleep. After not hearing from her more than 10 minutes, he texted her back and said, babe, I'm concerned. Let me know what's going on. I don't want you out there alone if your friends are being dicks, but I also don't want you to ruin your last night there. An hour after her boyfriend hadn't heard, again, now he called the mom, he called the friends. As hours passed, multiple friends texted her asking where she was. One friend told her to stop fucking around. Another friend said, we think you're missing. When those efforts failed, Brittany's mom, so keep in mind, Brittany's mom is in Rochester and they can't file a missing persons report in Myrtle Beach because they're not there. Luckily, they had a friend of the family who lived nearby, so they were able to go and file a missing persons uh, report on behalf of the family. Um, The police, which this made me uh, happy, not that she was missing, but the police, knowing that she was a minor and her history of depression, immediately started the search. So sometimes you see the adverse uh, where they're... 24 hours or something. Yeah, you have to wait. You know, and there's always... It's a continuous conversation about, is that really a rule or not? But Mm -hmm. so basically... The girls were being mean. She texted her boyfriend, said, I'm going to go visit some friends at this other hotel. She texted him, said, I'm about to leave that hotel and go back to mine. And that's when the communication stopped. Police went to search Brittany's hotel room, finding all of her clothes she had packed, um, but did not find her purse or cell phone. So this led them to believe that her attack or whatever happened to her didn't happen in the room Mm -hmm. there was no sign of a struggle in the room besides i'm sure like just clothes and shit thrown everywhere which is typical but she had her phone and purse with her um the last anyone knew uh were her texts to john before that though there was a phone call from a friend asking her to bring back a pair of shorts that she had borrowed we know that Brittany had taken those shorts um and she was going back to her friend so basically what they've hypothesized is that she was at the blue ocean resort with these other friends the friend called and said, give me my shit back. So she was going to leave that resort to go back and give her friend her shorts. The police started talking to all the friends. And there was one friend who caught their attention. He too was from Rochester and his name was Peter Browsewitz. They located security camera footage from the Blue Water Resort and found the friends um, that she had visited. The last person who reported seeing her before she left was identified as 20-year-old nightclub promoter Peter Browsewitz. She had known him from the Rochester area, and he was also vacationing in Myrtle Beach. They actually knew ahead of time he was going to be there, and Brittany's boyfriend was relieved when he heard that Peter would be there, since he knew Peter and figured he could keep an eye on Brittany. They hadn't planned on meeting up in Myrtle Beach, but had bumped into each other the night before at a nightclub and planned to meet up the following day. After police interviewed Peter and the four men with whom he was sharing his hotel room with, they said... No one has been ruled in or out, adding that they did not have any persons of interest. 
What does seem a little shady, which will spiral, is that the guys had checked out from the hotel earlier than planned the next morning. In his defense, I don't think that maybe he knew she was going to end up missing, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but um, they checked out earlier in the the morning. Brittany's mother alleges that he left their belongings and a deposit behind and gave multiple stories to what happened. Uh, Police would later, though, find emails obtained through public records. They were emails between Peter and the hotel manager explaining what they really left behind. So this is where you have to be really careful with information. So the newspaper was like, oh my gosh, they left behind all of their clothes and left in the middle of the night and left their deposit. I mean, so you hear this and you think they're fleeing. Oh, yeah. Turns out what it really was is they had left a few wet bathing suits on the balcony and that the manager was mad because there was damage to the room, so she wouldn't give them the deposit back. Ah. Uh. They were eventually cleared. However, the damage was done. And then also people thought he was guilty because he immediately got a lawyer, which you should, especially if you're innocent, yep. get a lawyer right away. I mean, we say this all the time, get a lawyer. Tips came in around 2011 that police should look into a character named Raymond Moody. It was actually somebody from Moody's family who called the police and suggested that they look into him. And I talk about, you must be a real piece of shit, man. Yeah, your family. Your family? <laughs> Jeez. Oh, like, I don't know who you got a shitty Christmas gift yeah, for. No or like, like what you forgot your dish to pass. Like, I don't know what you did, but if your family is calling the police, like we know the motherfucker that did it. It's this man. It's Raymond Moody. You always treated me like shit. It was Ray Ray. Time to get back. Investigators conducted a search at a motel in Georgetown, South Carolina, where Moody, who was a registered sex offender, had been staying at the time of her disappearance. He'd returned to his hometown of Georgetown after being convicted and serving approximately half of his 40-year sentence in California for multiple sexual assaults. That's correct. Multiple sexual assaults. And he only had to serve half of his 40-year sentence. He had kidnapped and raped a young girl and was charged with similar crimes in seven other cases. 20 years. 20 years. Raymond had actually been pulled over by the cops the day after Brittany went missing for speeding. Through the search of his motel, they produced no evidence that could connect him to Brittany At the time of the traffic stop, he had scratches on his face, according to um, a retired Myrtle Beach police lieutenant, but there was no, at that time, to connect. They hadn't been referred to, like, Mm -hmm. look into him yet. So, in the police's defense, how would you draw that correlation? Recently, um, in an interview with 2020, uh, Ernest Merchant, who's a former romantic partner of Raymond Moody, because, yeah, newsflash, Raymond is just a whore all the way around, Says a couple days after Brittany had gone missing, Moody had showed up at his home unexpectedly. I saw that his face had claw marks all over it. His neck, cheeks, he had a shaved bald head and his head was just clawed. But of course, the police would not understand this connection until years later. So he was let go due to lack of evidence. As part of their investigation into Raymond, police also spoke to his girlfriend, Angel. Angel told investigators about Moody's chilling dreams, fantasies, and history of violence. He says they mean nothing to him, she said. They're just like a toy in his toy box. He's going to rape them for hours, and then he's going to get rid of them so that they can't tell on him. 
She went on to tell police that he had fantasies of abducting several girls. I think he could be responsible for anybody's disappearance. Just from the dream, he says he was like dreams of hanging somebody from a tree and then cutting their guts open and letting their blood run all over him. Oh, okay. yeah. The, and this is the person. Run, that you, Angel. Run. Well, Angel was afraid to run. She said, I'm suspicious that she may not be the only one. She told investigators um, he had all these crazy fantasies where he wants to take more than one girl at a time. Of course, he always says teenager, but at this point, I'm beginning to think children. Her interview also, and I watched this interrogation video, and here's the thing. It's easy to judge this woman and, and say, well, why are you with this guy? And we don't know what goes on behind closed doors, and we'll get to in a little bit that she was afraid for her life, so not justifying it. But in her interview, she basically um, said that he always wants teenagers, again, but I'm starting to think of children. She also alluded to pre-planning on his part and that he had a tent where he could take girls and assault them. She shared in her inter well interview, it was an interrogation, they should that they should just take that they just took down oh God, I can talk, that they just took the sign down from McDonald's because we were there the other day. And he said something like, Oh, look, they took the sign down. And I said, What sign? He said the one with the girl on it. And I said, why'd they take it down? And he said, I don't know, but I was tired of looking at it every day anyway. Ooh. She said she was suspicious that he could have been responsible for the crime. She also shared, I mean, this guy's got a lot of fucked up fantasies. Yeah, it sounds like it. She also shared that he had fantasies of snatching teens, stashing them in the woods, and they wanted to take more than one girl at a time. He also detailed things he told her he did in California that he said he never got caught for. So he got caught for plenty, but apparently there's more. She shared that he told her he walked into their house in the middle of the day. It didn't scare him. He'd follow them home. He'd follow them from school and stuff like that. He would just follow them. She told investigators she was scared of Moody and that he had threatened her. He said, I will disappear and they will never find me. I've got children. I don't want to disappear and never be found. Again. I'm not one to judge. I feel bad for her in a, in a way. Yeah. At this moment, <laughs> there's more coming. But in this snapshot in time, just knowing what we know so far, that can't be an enjoyable life to no. be stuck in. No. And trapped. And then adding kids on top of it. So we'll keep going. But at this moment, I do feel a little bad for Angel. But let's keep going. In June 2000, so basically at that point, I mean, I think they probably were thinking, hmm, this guy is obviously a predator, but they weren't able to have, I think, any like substantial evidence. Yeah, because those claws marks had probably been long. Well, and if they could find her body at that point, maybe there was DNA into the fingernail. True. I mean, that there too. would have been ways, but, you know, at this point they couldn't really draw any correlations. Mm -hmm. So they had to just kind of cut him loose. In June 2016... The FBI held a news conference, which they stated that they believed that Brittany had been murdered shortly after her disappearance. They say she had been abducted from Myrtle Beach and taken somewhere in the vicinity of Georgetown, near where the cell phone pings had ended, before being killed. The Bureau put up a $25,000 reward for information leading to the resolution of the case. Oh, like rewards are always such a double-edged sword. You want it to then you don't know evoke information, but then you have people who just want the money. Mm -hmm. Enter Taquan Brown, who was a South Carolina inmate 
and had begun serving a 25-year sentence for manslaughter. He was testifying in a bond hearing not long after Brittany's disappearance and said he had gone to a stash house in McClellanville, which is a small fishing town about an hour from Myrtle Beach. He says he walked through the house on April 27th and told um, the investigators that he saw Brittany, who had a black eye, and there were 8 to 12 other men present. He says that she was being sexually assaulted and claimed at the time that he had no idea who she was. He stated that he only realized who she was later when the news started covering the case heavily. Mm-hmm. Mm, okay. He would, however, change his story. No. His second version claimed that Brittany was assaulted, and this time he had someone specific. He said that it was Timothy Taylor, an inmate that was uh, had served time in state before on unrelated charges. The FBI agent, Garrick Munoz, who he gave this testimony to, and then he would testify in the courts on behalf of what he had been told, said that Brown told them that in 2009, shortly after Brittany disappeared, he had gone to, again, visit the McClellanville stash house to give Taylor's dad money. We've gone from the generic story of he just went to the stash house and saw Brittany and there were 8 to 12 people there to now it was Timothy Taylor Tim the Toolman Taylor. Yeah, you think just, of, yeah, I know. Exactly. I'm not. I didn't want to make a joke and make light of this, but yeah. it does make me think of like mm-hmm. Al Borland and Tim the Toolman Taylor. Uh, I do miss that show. That was a really great show. Anyhow, so Back now, on track. now Brown is saying he went to the same stash house in McClellanville, but he was going to give money to Taylor's dad. He says he continued to the backyard where he found Taylor's dad and gave him payment. As they were talking, Brittany ran out of the house, but was soon recaptured. He said that he saw Taylor pistol whip Brittany and then take her back inside. And to go back, he did have the same story that when he first walked in, she was being assaulted, sexually assaulted. But this time it was specifically by Timothy. He basically said then that she escaped, that Taylor grabbed her, pistol whipped her, took her back inside He then said he heard two gunshots, which he assumed were sounds of the young woman being killed. Brown claims to have seen a body wrapped in a rug being removed from the house and then dumped in one of the um, alligator ponds uh, nearby. His statement to investigators, Brown's statement about Taylor, um, were partially corroborated by information received from another informant who was not identified but was described as having been incarcerated in Georgetown County Jail around the same time. According to the second inmate, Taylor had picked up Brittany in Myrtle Beach and taken her to McClellanville, where he showed her off to friends and tried to sell her to them for trafficking purposes. This was a theory her parents had, too, that she had been sold into maybe, like, trafficking. Brown said that when the case drew heavy media attention, Taylor decided to kill her to avoid arrest. As soon as Brown gave this information about Timothy Taylor... He also started making demands uh, for better conditions, better food. He wanted a TV. Seems a little suspicious. Hmm? A little bit, a little bit. A little bit. Timothy Taylor had just finished serving a sentence for a McDonald's robbery in 2011. So remember, this is 2016. Okay. But in 2011, someone was shot during the robbery and he was the getaway driver. So he was sentenced to parole. So no prisoner jail time for this sentenced to parole and by 2016 he had finished his sentence this blows my mind and i'm about to share next i like with our legal system 
The FBI decided to use this case against him and bring charges to him, bring charges again for the same crime, this time in federal court. So let me just say this again. He had originally been tried and pled guilty for this and he got parole. The FBI says, we're going to charge you again for the same case, but now in federal court. That to me is double jeopardy. Yeah. Wrong. This is scary. There is a law that says if you are tried and convicted and sentenced and the sentence is deemed too lenient, they can haul your ass right back into court. Just when you think you're done with the cell. Since he he had gotten probation and the other two had gotten significant longer sentences, one had gotten 25 to life. Mm -hmm. And I I was kind of surprised, too. Just parole does seem. Now, granted, I think he was 16 at the time, 16 or 17, but parole does seem a little light. However, since it was significantly more lenient, they put him back. They said they were going to put him back on trial. And since he had pled guilty to the crime in the first trial, that superseded anything he was going to say. So he was fucked because he already pled guilty. He can't go into this case now and plead not guilty Yeah, because he already pled guilty. This was wild to me. They, the police just use this to squeeze him and just say, listen, we know you did it. This is the part about law enforcement. As much as I have such tremendous respect for law enforcement, just like every profession or job, there are also just some real assholes and, Mm -hmm. and dirty people. And this is to me horrible. Like, they extorted this kid. They threatened him with prison time. They tried to force him to confess to the crime. In an interview, he said he didn't even know who Daquan Brown was. So this person who is literally pointing the finger at him and saying, yes, Taylor did it. He's like, I even know this guy. He was facing years in prison. He continued to be uh, persistent that he didn't know anything about it. The police gave him lie detector tests, which you all know what I think about a lie detector yeah. test. It's bullshit and admissible. However, they were using that, I think, as an intimidation tactic. He took the lie detector test and passed, but the police told Britney's parents he failed. So you have Britney's parents who are being fed this information that I'm sure they probably thought it was him. He's supposedly failed these lie detector tests, which we know isn't true. So the cops are giving, like, the family all this fake information. There was an appearance on the Dr. Phil show where the Britney's dad actually said that at one point during the um, when they were looking for Brittany, he was positive he handed a flyer to, to Taylor. He said that the car, they were out like in a back road handing out flyers. There was a car that approached them, almost didn't stop. He said there were two guys in the back of the car and then obviously the driver and the passenger. They were laughing. They took the flyer, crumpled it up, threw it out the door and sped off. He said he was sure uh, that it was Taylor and that his guilt um, and he called for hell to rain down on his family. This is so dangerous because you cannot advocate for vigilante justice, mm-hmm. especially when you don't even know if the person did it. Oh. So again, to recap, Taquan Brown says that, hey, I was at this this trap house and basically I saw Timothy Taylor with Brittany assaulting her. Then I heard gunshots and something went out and someone carried out a body in a carpet into an alligator pit. You have the police who basically say, okay, well, then let's just extort this kid and get him to com- like confess by retrying him for a case that he'd already served his time on parole five years before in federal court because his sentence was too lenient. You have Brittany's family, who I'm sure is just acting off emotion. Yeah. And they just want answers, and also they're given false information. 
calling to people on the Dr. Phil show to essentially torture this family. And basically, Dr. Phil asked him, what do you hope happens to this family? Which I don't know why the fuck you'd ask that, Dr. Phil. And Brittany's dad says, I hope that someone captures them for four days, tortures them, sexually assaults them, kills them, and throws them into an alligator pit like they did to my daughter. Yeah. Things got so bad that Timothy Taylor's mom lost her job. His dad lost his business. His sister's life was ruined. And at one point, both Timothy and his dad almost considered confessing just to make it stop. The FBI would search the stash house, like the alligator pits nearby. They would search Taylor's, the Taylor home. And guess what? Nothing. Nothing. They would later be cleared. But their lives were destroyed. Their lives are ruined. You have Brittany's family who's on this roller coaster of just being mind fucked. I'm sure that they probably didn't feel good when they realized that they had falsely accused, Mm -hmm. which again... I'm sure was based on emotion and false information to a point. Take us to 2020. So after leads once thought credible about Timothy Taylor's involvement, shockingly were proven untrue. The FBI decided it was time to get back to the basics, reexamining the cell phone data um, that they had like originally found. They overlaid this information um, with new technology And what they were able to do was determine that, and this was interesting to me, that Brittany's, uh, the speed of her phone, you can determine based on like the area you've covered, how fast you're moving. They were able to determine that Brittany went from walking to a speed of 55 miles per hour, which obviously, unless you're like fucking Iron Man, (laughs) like you're in a vehicle, the data indicated that she was heading south. By 9.06 p.m., based on the speed they could figure she was going, she was in a car, And by 10 o'clock, she would have been in Georgetown. The final ping on her phone was at 11.58 p.m. at the pole yard boat landing. Cross-referencing camera data with cell phone camera data, the FBI with camera, oh, with the CCTV. I was like, camera data with camera data? Yeah, that'd be interesting. I can't even, I know, like literally, I can't even read my own notes. Cross-referencing camera data with cell phone data, the FBI was able to determine the precise location where they believe Brittany was last walking before getting into the vehicle. This led them to a camera on Ocean Boulevard where Brittany had been walking, and they were able to find an image of a vehicle that had been passing by. There was one vehicle in particular when they looked at the license plate. The owner of the car was the sister of none other than... What do you think? Moody. Wait, what was it? Angel. Angel. Moody's angel. In April 2022, the FBI reapproached April, Moody's girlfriend, and they decided that they were going to make her an informant. They brought her in. They were talking to her about the case. I've watched, of course, the interrogate. Well, it's supposed to be an interview. <laughs> it turns into a bit of an interrogation. She's shooting the shit with them and they're asking questions. Well, what kind of car do you drive? And she's like, oh, I could drive this car, but then also this one. And oh, well, does your boyfriend ever drive that car? Well, I don't know if he ever drives it. When you know the case, you know the questions they're asking, you get why they're asking it. Mm-hmm. But she thinks they're just joking around. They offer to get her lunch. They're like, it's a lighthearted conversation. She's laughing. And then all of a sudden, I think it clicks for her that 
she's a suspect too. And she's like, fuck, I am. And gets up and walks out. <laughs> she basically, once I, she realizes, they start asking questions about her too. Well, were you and Raymond together that night? What They start to ask questions. Uh, she gets pissed. Eventually she comes back in. At that point, they have to make a decision. They essentially, and this has got to be tough for cops. Do you offer immunity to someone to try to get somebody else? So essentially, they decide to proffer her and offer her like immunity to get to him. Now, was she a part of it? Will they find out he was a part of it? They don't know. Like, mm-hmm. So they don't really know, per se. I think they have an idea, probably. But I didn't realize this. But basically, a proffer is that the defendant is legally required to tell the truth and not withhold any relevant information. A proffer is unique. And this is your... Your learning of the day. Yeah. A proffer is unique in that the defendant essentially incriminates themselves by openly taking or talking about both their role in the crime and their knowledge of the crime. The defendant is legally required to tell the truth and not withhold any relevant information. A proffer is unique in that the defendant essentially incriminates themselves by openly talking about their role. So basically, she's like, Yeah, I was a part of it to what extent? We don't know. Mm-hmm. But they had to figure we need to use her to get to him. On May 5th, 2022, this was recent. Raymond Moody, a 62-year-old registered sex offender, turned himself in to Georgetown County Sheriff's Office. Um, Basically, we'll get to what the proffer said in a little bit, but I think that he had a feeling of what was coming. Basically, what he said happened... And this is also what Angel claims happened. So most of like what I'm about to tell you is what Moody shared in his confession, but it aligns pretty closely with what Angel said too in her proffer. He was living an hour from Myrtle Beach at a motel in Georgetown in 2009, um, again, where Brittany was last seen. According to authorities, he said that he had kidnapped Brittany as she walked along the Myrtle Beach Strip. He told authorities that he and Angel were driving to Myrtle Beach when they saw Brittany and asked her to party with them. He claimed that he was smoking weed. Brittany saw that and asked to participate. He said he pulled over to a little parking lot on the side of the road. Brittany walked over to the car. He spoke to her outside the window and said something like, hey, do you want to? Let's smoke. Do a line or two. You know, she said yes and got into the car voluntarily, which you'll notice in his story he multiple times says it was a voluntary to try to, I think, avoid kidnapping charges. Yeah. A couple of things. First, the whole reason she wasn't feeling spring break is because her friends were doing drugs. Yep. But now all of a sudden she's going to hop into an SUV with two randos to do a few lines or mm-hmm. smoke the devil's lettuce. Strongly yeah, believe that. Makes sense. Strongly don't believe that. He said that he drove Angel and Brittany to a campsite in Georgetown where they smoked marijuana. Angel left because she said that her son had called and needed something, which this is where I think she's full of shit. But anyways, Angel said she left because her um, son called. Moody said that he wanted to have sex with Brittany when she refused. He got pissed and raped her. Worried that he might get in trouble for that, he strangled her, wrapped her body in a blanket, and hid her in the woods. When Angel returned... He told Brittany, uh, he told her that Brittany's friends had picked her up. He later returned to the campsite, moved Brittany's body, and buried it in another location. To corroborate his story, he did tell police where her remains were. 
An official arrest warrant uh, was written that alleged that Brittany had been strangled and then buried by the morning of April 26, 2009. Uh, Georgetown County Sheriff's Office, and this was like, re- and this happened like in May of last year, um, that they finally cracked this case. He was arrested and charged with murder, kidnapping, and first-degree criminal sexual misconduct, all alleged to have occurred on the day that Brittany disappeared. On May 11th, uh, human remains were located buried in the woods off of a gated private drive outside Georgetown, about four feet in the ground, so exactly where he said that it was going to be. They were identified as Brittany through DNA and dental records. Oh. On October 19th, and one of the things that Raymond said when he went in to confess is that he, the only request he had was that they don't go after Angel. And in Angel's proffer, she claims the same thing that they picked Brittany up. They went to the campsite. She left, came back. Here's the other thing that really makes me wonder. Unless you live in a hole, when Brittany went missing, there were pictures and posters everywhere. everywhere. You're telling me, Angel, that your brain didn't click that, oh, wait, that's the beautiful young girl. That we picked up. That we picked up that I left with my pervert predator boyfriend out in the campsite that was gone when I got back. And now she's missing. No. Yeah, I I do not believe her one bit. Now, granted, going back to her interview in 2011, she's scared of him. So I I don't know all the details, but I would like to think that that chip in your brain that says be a good person... Should be going on. Might put two and two together. I don't know. This guy's a psychopath. I don't know. On October 19th, he pled guilty to all charges and was uh, sentenced to life in prison with an additional two consecutive terms of 30 years. Which, yeah, I mean, whatever. Yeah. Um, this was kind of interesting. And I, I, the thing that bugs me is I wish that they would just tell the truth because I still, and his parents... I can't fathom people putting the narrative out there that your daughter got into a car with these two random people to smoke weed. Like, like for the Britney and the way that people described her, and we'll get to it, you know the victim impact statements in a minute. Everyone is like, "There's no fucking way that that's the truth." Yeah. Anyhow, um, let's see. Apparently, though, this hasn't happened yet. But again, this just happened last year. If the police continue to investigate the FBI and they realize the angel was lying and full of shit, remember, they can go after her because yeah. that proffer requires that you have to tell the truth. I think I'm saying that right. Is it pro- proffer? Prover? I don't know. I'm sure all of our legal friends are having losing their if it's shit. not the right way. She's <laughs> saying it wrong again. I know. This is why I'm not a lawyer. Some people have speculated yeah. the reason why he confessed. First, I think it's because he probably knew Angel was going to or had turned. There are other theories that his health is failing. He's lost an eye due to illness. He looks like shit, as he should. Good. Maybe this is some sort of deathbed confession. Like, who knows? All I know is that bad things happen to bad people, and sometimes that's a good thing. Yep. Brittany's father uh, told 2020 there's still an emptiness in their hearts. There's no such thing as closure. We have to live with this for the rest of our lives. We have to learn how to live with it. Dawn, her mother, believes that he should, um, that Raymond should never have been let out of prison on his prior convictions and is hoping to have her day in court, um, which I agree. I mean, the, the fact that he spent 20 years of a 40-year mm-hmm. sentence for 
what is it like seven seven, seven, seven counts, sexual assaults seven counts yeah that and then he telling angel there was more that he didn't get caught yeah this is the part that uh, always breaks my heart is the victim impact statements first to speak was chad Brittany's adopted father he said that when Britt applied herself there was nothing that could stop her she became a leader to her family and friends she was very strong-willed and strong-minded i don't know what to think i don't know what i i would not wish this upon anybody Brittany's little brother walked back and forth comforting the family during his emotional words. Her little brother, like I watched this, he was trying to be such a strong like man for the family. Mm. When it was his turn to talk, he broke down sobbing, saying 13 years later, I find out the horrible, disgusting, and senseless way she was murdered. He stated that everything in his being says to retaliate, but he knows that's not what Brittany would want. He hates being upset, and he is sick of it. I mean, the torment that these yeah. families are going to live with forever. Her younger brother, Camden, then went to speak. He said, Brittany was a second mom. His purpose in life going through school is for her. Thank God we found justice. Raymond could be seen crying and wincing as Brittany's family read their statements. Uh, Dawn, Brittany's mom, spoke last. Um, she wore Brittany's ashes around her neck and said, that's all I have left. That's all we have left after what you did to her. Uh, Brittany was a beautiful soul. You are a serial rapist and a child predator. She said they know Brittany fought back violently um, because of Moody's head and scratching. She claims the justice system failed, which, I mean, I could understand her point. Raymond also spoke, and I'm this is a no, please understand, I'm not giving this man any credit. But he was very emotional. He was crying. I do believe there was some remorse in what he was saying. That He said he was a monster. He had done horrible things. Again, you should never have done them, but I mean, and at this point too, what do your tears really do? Yeah. They don't bring the family's loved oh. one back. So it's like, eh, whatever. In January, 2024, Dawn filed a lawsuit against Raymond Moody. I'm not sure how much she's going to get from that piece of shit, but like whatever. She basically, according to the lawsuit, said that Moody and his then girlfriend lured Brittany into their SUV while she was walking alone. Um, essentially, she's saying that they deprive them of ongoing love and affection that a child gives a parent. I don't really think they're getting much out of it. Maybe it's more about a statement piece, mm -hmm. which, you know, whatever helps a family heal or brings them, I wouldn't even say closure. I don't know how you get closure in something like this, but whatever action Don and the family need to do to try to just get to at least a better place, um, you know, that's obviously their decision. Did anything come of uh, the Taylors after all of this? No, they just got their lives totally fucked up, and uh, that's it. Yeah. I mean, so there's multiple, at different levels, to be clear, mm -hmm. victims, right? Yep. And, yeah, so that it, it, it's scary to me when you see these things, like with the, the legal system. Because, I mean, you could be in the wrong place the wrong time, and you never know. But... I do just want to end again. We'll post photos on um, our Instagram page at bad human pod. She was gorgeous and just had so much life and she had the most beautiful blue eyes and so much life left to live. So that is the case of Brittany Drexel. And we're sorry to all the victims involved in this case, all of them and their families. Oh, it's a rough one. Very. We would uh, love any suggestions you have of cases to cover next. So shoot us an email at badhumanpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you to everyone who is uh, subscribing or leaving comments or reviews on Spotify or Apple or anywhere that you listen. 
not Stitcher for much longer. Oh, yeah, they're piecing out. Yep. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> um, and with that, please remember to treat yourselves and each other with love, kindness, and respect. I'm K Mac. And I'm, of course, the answer. Good, Good night. night.